The reading of the Scriptures from Genesis 27, beginning in verse 46, continuing through chapter 28 to verse 9. I invite your uh, reverent uh, attention and hearing uh, to the public reading of God's Word, and we pray that God would give grace and faith both in the reading and in the hearing of it. So, from Genesis 27. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, and Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him and directed him, he must not take a wife from the Canaanite women and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. Well, the, Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Uh, Father, again, we come before you uh, to worship and to praise our great God, to return uh, thanksgiving to you. Uh, we thank you for the gift of your loving kindness uh, set upon us before the foundation of the world, for the great gift of the Son, the one for the many sinners, uh, for the gift of the Spirit of God. Uh, we thank you for, uh, from the greater to the lesser, your Daily, Father, we care, giving us our daily bread. Uh, pray that you would bless our offerings that we have brought this morning uh, to the advancement of the kingdom of heaven and to the welfare of those in need. Pray that you would remember uh, those among us, our congregation, sick or infirmed, unable to attend because of age or infirmity, uh, be near to them in great grace and tender mercies. Uh, Bless those who are uh, perplexed to guide them. Uh, some may be uh, disheartened, encourage them. Some may be fearful about circumstances. Give us courage in the Lord. We do pray as always for your blessings, uh, saving grace for our children and grandchildren. Uh, watch over us, keep us, protect us, both as a congregation and the household of our families. And we've come, Father, uh, through uh, cold and wind and snow to gather here uh, to meet with you in your word. So, Father, 
May the word of God go out in great power, accompanied with the Spirit, uh, that would uh, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in this word of yours uh, and to guide us into truth and then to uh, make us willing in heart to obey the truth and walk in it. And so bless Phil as he holds forth. We thank you for the gift of him and his ministry to us in the word. We ask all these things uh, in the name of Christ, uh, our great uh, Savior, King, Redeemer, and friend and the giver of peace. In his name, amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. One of the uh, great institutions for advancing the faith is uh, the Christian family. Uh, in that regard, it is uh, always uh, under attack um, because the world sees it for what it is, uh, an essential institution for preserving and propagating the faith. And a major danger to the Christian family is assimilation. Assimilation either with the culture uh, or through intermarriage. And uh, we have that uh, acted out for us uh, in the drama uh, in the family of promise. Uh, in verses uh, 1 to 5, uh, the threat of cultural assimilation prompts the family to instruct and to bless uh, Jacob. Uh, and again, Canaanite culture was a profound danger, uh, and so the family uh, must act. In this case, it does. Uh, the particular danger is that Jacob would uh, take a Canaanite wife uh, who would influence and consequently transform him into the likeness of her culture. Uh, the divine reality is a, a threat, uh, obviously, to a transmission of the divine blessings. It was then, and it really is uh, in a manner or form the same today. And so Rebecca understands this, and she acts to protect her son. Her defense is to isolate her son from her culture. So she goes to her husband, Isaac, uh, with the danger. Uh, she sees it for what it is, profound spiritual danger. Uh, again, let's reread uh, the last verse of chapter 27. Rebecca said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Uh, so she's in a measure of spiritual agony, and she is uh, concerned for her son. Uh, notice the parallel. Daughters of Heth and the daughters of the land. In other words, uh, the pagan culture who are outside of the blessings of God. Uh, if this occurs, she says rhetorically, what good is my life? Uh, if you will, an implied statement of utter failure. Uh, so she's gripped in a measure of uh, anguish uh, over, over her son. Uh, it's very interesting to connect uh, several key issues here. Uh, because there is uh, this reality uh, throughout the Scripture. There's a parallel, for example, turn back to Genesis chapter 24, uh, verses 3 and 4. 
Abraham is talking to his trusted uh, servant. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites with whom uh, I live. But you shall go to my country, to my relatives, and take a wife from my son Isaac. It's very interesting here. There's uh, uh, there's a uh, inversion. Uh, Abraham is taking the lead in Genesis 24. Uh, the wife takes the lead in the passage before us. So in some manner or form, the spiritual leadership of her husband is slipping. Uh, it's an implied uh, danger in and of itself. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, there is this move to protect. There's also a distant parallel to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2. Uh, if you turn back to that uh, passage, uh, it reads uh, essentially that the sons of God, if you will, the redeemed sons of God, saw the daughters of men, if you will, that were not redeemed, saw them that they were beautiful. The Hebrew word is literally good saw that they were beautiful and took them as their wives. And uh, the result is cataclysmic. Eventually the flood comes and God starts over. But again, it's this danger of assimilation, the danger of merger, uh, where the men and women of the world corrupt uh, the sons and daughters of God. By the way, the parallel uh, is also to um, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and the parallel is in the verbs. Eve saw that the tree was beautiful or good. Same Hebrew word. And she took of the fruit and ate and then gave it to her husband. Uh, so all of this is our implicit reminder of the incredible danger uh, that leads to the fall of the family and to judgment. Uh, let's trace it a little bit in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, if you would turn to 1 Kings, uh, because there is a great king of Israel uh, who crosses this line and uh, endangers not only his own uh, soul, but also uh, his kingdom. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, in verses 3 and 4. Again, it's Solomon, who was a son of God. He, he was a son of the covenant. Uh, but he engages in mergers and assimilation, ultimately amalgamation, uh, merging, uh, if you will, his, his family with outsiders. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. That's the danger. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Notice again the phrase, turned his heart away. Uh, that's what the world does if you are not profoundly uh, ready for the danger. And it occurs all the time, not only uh, with intermarriage, uh, but in uh, the academy, 
where Christian sons and daughters go to advanced academies and their hearts are turned away. Nothing wrong with uh, going to uh, places of advanced education, uh, but you must guard your heart uh, because they are as evangelistic in their religion as we should be in ours. Uh, but the point is the heart. Turn their hearts. Another reminder that uh, is, is just as uh, violent, even more so, First uh, Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He was if you will, uh, a member of the visible community of Israel. Uh, he takes a pagan wife, and what does she do to his heart? She perverts it, and so he does evil. Uh, and Eventually, it's the cause of incredible judgment. Uh, explicit reminder, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 uh, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness. And what harmony does Christ have with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? It's explicit reference. Um, lots of mergers in this life. I read about them all the time in the Wall Street Journal. Businesses will merge. Great, uh, particularly if it uh, prospers the economy and prospers uh, the, two the two companies where two become one. Uh, but there is an institution in which those mergers must not occur. And that's the Christian family with the families of the world because hearts will be turned. And that's the great danger. Uh, now, I, I fully understand that uh, on occasion uh, that occurs, and uh, one partner is a Christian, uh, the other is not. Uh, so, you stay in the marriage, you pray, you humble yourself, you seek the face of God, and you remain faithful to the Lord above all things, because your loyalty to Him supersedes everything. Uh, but Paul, uh, Paul, Paul tells uh, such a family in Corinthian epistles, uh, remain and uh, continue to live a godly life. Uh, but all the better uh, face the danger before that line is crossed. So um, Isaac responds to his wife, goes on the offense. Uh, reminds you again, she's the one who initiates. Abraham has given us uh, the proper order. So he instructs his son, transmits the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant to him, and then sends him away. Uh, the text is he blesses him, and then he commands him. Uh, it's interesting in the Hebrew text, both verbs are in the intensive form. Uh, so there is a uh, measure of urgency uh, to the commandment as well as to the blessing. Uh, notice again the content, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. 
Uh, it's also critical to notice uh, the intersection of divine providence and the family. Because behind this is God is at work uh, to protect the son of promise and to transmit generationally to raise up sons of promise. Uh, you and I know that the oracle of God was to bless Jacob, uh, but God also uses means. And that in and of itself is a great application of this text. We know the word of God cannot fail, but God uses means. In this case, he uses a husband and he uses his wife. And they act. In that sense, Isaac is awakened to the danger. So he commands his son, arise, go, and take a wife from your mother's family. Uh, significance of this is it was uh, the extended family of Abraham. If you will, a family affair. Uh, in our case, it's the family of the faith. Uh, and I... Uh, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that uh, this is more and more of a challenge today. Uh, the reason I say that is because the church is in decline, doctrinally, morally, and numerically. And as well, the family is always under attack, spiritually and morally. I remind you, uh, men who are outside of Christ are not neutral. They are evangelicals just like we are. And they seek to recruit to their cause. I know a number of dear Christian friends that raised their families and their children in the faith. Uh, their children went to the academy to advance their education. And professors got to them and turned their hearts. So it is a very dangerous world that we live in. And uh, it's also a reminder that we should uh, walk uh, every day uh, by faith and trust the Lord. Hope in Him. And pray early and often for Him to work and to protect our families, our children's, and our spouses. So there's also a carryover here from uh, the Christian family uh, to the spiritual family of the church. Here as well, the battle is fierce. Um, there's all types of illustrations in our contemporary culture in which pagan culture has come into the church and is accepted within the church. Uh, illustration uh, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church, the uh, Pope authorizing some form of blessing. I mean, they specify they're not sacramental or spiritual, whatever that means. Uh, but they can bless alternative lifestyles. Uh, all that is, is uh, letting the world come into the church. And it will come in very slowly and eventually will become a flood. Uh, many Protestant denominations, as you know, are accepting alternative lifestyles, even ordaining them uh, to Christian ministry. How did that occur? Over time? In degree. In the perversion of the faith. So the battle is fierce, 
Uh, you might ask yourself, how can we make it? We'll make it as we persevere and trust God because God always, always, always has his own. And he keeps his own because God is faithful uh, to keep his own. Uh, you and I must persevere in that hope uh, with a sure and certain reminder that in the end, God wins. He always wins. And so we can always trust him. Uh, the blessings that uh, Isaac transmits to his son are particular to the faith. Verses 3 and 4. It's, let's look at them very quickly. Uh, first, may El Shaddai, or God Almighty, bless you. Uh, we've seen uh, this uh, name for God. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai in the Hebrew text. Uh, it's debated as to uh, what this means. Uh, El is another name for God. Um, Shaddai is uh, sometimes interpreted as the, uh, the Lord of the mountain, uh, that uh, God is in the high places uh, in control. Uh, I take it simply as the all-sufficiency of God. Uh, I'll let greater scholars uh, hammer that out. Uh, but it is a reminder, uh, regardless, that God is sufficient in all things. Uh, I, I know that all of us have uh, many wants and needs in life. Um, we turn to the Lord. Uh, he is our sufficiency. He is our ever-present hope uh, in the midst of profound danger. Uh, he's also the source of covenantal blessings. In the Roman Catholic Church, the church dispenses blessings. In the Protestant Church, God dispenses blessings. Uh, we turn to the Lord himself. It's a profound difference. Uh, but it is uh, our reminder to draw close to the Lord who blesses his people. Uh, we look to him. Uh, Abraham looked to him, Isaac looked to him, and we should do likewise. It's important for us to remember that uh, the blessings come to us through Christ, who is in ultimately the line of Abraham. He's the greater covenantal head who will bless his people. It's the importance of the gospel. Uh, we uh, come to the faith uh, not through natural generation, but through the gospel. Remind you in uh, our bulletin this morning, uh, I went to one of the great confessional statements of the church. Look at the question. With whom was the covenant of grace made? The covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam and in him with all the elect as his seed. So ultimately, we see here a microcosm of the greater way that God is going to bless all of the sons of promise, and it is through Christ, through Christ, the great and only Redeemer. Isaac tells his son, uh, may God make you fruitful and multiply you. An allusion to Genesis chapter 1, verses 22 and 28, uh, where Adam and Eve was to fill the earth with the presence of God. Uh, 
often referred to by theologians as a cultural mandate. Uh, uh, my New Testament parallel is in the Great Commission. Go to the world. Proclaim the gospel. Teach men about the majesty of God. Great, great cultural mandate. We're to fill the earth with witness and with the divine presence. Third, Isaac tells his son, may he give you the blessings of Abraham. Uh, then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went out of obedience to his parents, and he also goes to reject cultural assimilation. Uh, the essential uh, institution is the family. He goes out of obedience to protect the family. Greater reality here. Divine providence advancing his eternal purposes. Behind all of this drama is God raising up sons of promise. In our case, all over the world today, God raising up in the preaching of the gospel sons of promise through Christ as he gives men and women new hearts. It's very interesting, is it not, that while Isaac and Rebekah fail in many ways, they hold fast to the covenant and its transmission. We should be so intense. Raising our children, teaching them the faith, teaching them the spiritual dangers of the world. It's exactly a microcosm that should be a lesson today. The importance of holding fast to Christ and persevering in the faith, protecting the institution of the Christian family, and ultimately, of course, the spiritual family of the church. Uh, they, uh, namely Isaac and Rebecca, understood the danger of assimilation. You can see it in dripping emotion of 20, chapter 27, verse 46. Rebecca says, my life will be an utter failure if my son intermarries with the world. Uh, in grace, they failed God often, uh, but he did not fail them. It's our reminder that God will be, always be gracious to his sons and daughters. Uh, I know that sometimes in uh, uh, the depths of our own uh, depravity, we think, well, uh, God won't work for me. God will fail me. I must, I must uh, turn to the left or turn to the right. I must uh, uh, have my own solution. Don't go that way. God never fails his children. He always cares for the sons and daughters of promise. Throughout all the dangers and temptation, God keeps his own. Uh, I'm not unmindful that we're always going to be tested. Uh, tests will come. Um, they always come, but God is always faithful. Faithfulness and God go together and therefore protect the Christian family and protect your soul from all the dangers of the world. Uh, it's very interesting here that as we learn about the faults of Rebecca and Isaac, uh, we can draw near to the fact that uh, God doesn't choose the perfect. And in this life, he doesn't make them perfect either. 
It's a profound element of God's sovereign grace that He claims them, He changes them, and we should live out our lives accordingly. But we should also transmit that, uh, not in natural generation, because no man or woman or boy or girl is ever saved by natural generation. John chapter 1, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's a spiritual birth. But there is a profound duty that passes to us, to the Christian family, and to the Christian church. And that is to advance the faith that was given to us. Uh, turn with me, if you would, uh, to 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's last epistle, uh, to his uh, legatee, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Profound reminder to us that we're to transmit the faith, its content unchanged. And the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice the transmission of content, of biblical truth. It's a calling for uh, every Christian family in this room, every Christian father and every Christian mother. And it's profoundly important because uh, the world is a place filled with spiritual danger. So teach your children early and often. Because our charge is a generational one. Spiritual generation through teaching, through living out the gospel before men and women. There's a great contrast uh, in this text, uh, verses 6 to 9. Son of promise obeys the Father. The Son who's not a Son of promise disobeys. Uh, the rejected Son embraces cultural assimilation. Notice the text. Verse 6, he saw saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take to himself a wife from there. And then when he blessed him, he charged him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. He does the opposite. Verse 8, he saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. So he goes to Ishmael outside of the covenantal line, to marry again. So a reminder here, Esau was a member of the visible family. Not of the invisible family of the faith, uh, but he was a son, a patriarch. But he was outside the faith. Does not belong to the family of God. When he sees that his father has blessed Jacob, commanded him uh, not to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, he goes to the son of Hagar, Ishmael, and marries his daughter in addition to the Hittite wives he already had. He intentionally acts to displease his father. 
He acts out of spite. And he acts out of animosity to his parents, his brother, and ultimately to God himself. Uh, Look, if you would, at chapter 27 and verse 41. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob. Uh, The grudge is a very deep-seated and generational event. Let me give you an illustration. I was uh, watching many of the news programs about uh, the recent attacks in uh, Israel, and one of them covered the fact that uh, families in Gaza teach their children from the earliest of their years to hate to hate the Jews. And it's honorable to kill them. It becomes a generational event. Ultimately, you and I know, hatred will fail. Hate will never succeed in this world. Love will succeed. Our reminder is to teach our children with love and to love them with strength and ferocity, uh, trusting uh, the Lord God uh, to give them new hearts. Uh, But it's a reminder of uh, men of the world who are outside of the covenant. They hate. That's their nature. Uh, Ultimately, they hate uh, God himself. Expresses itself in many ways, whether it be murder or overt acts of uh, rejecting God and disobedience. Connection all the way back. Uh, And Cain killed Abel. A generational transmission and difference between the family of God and the families that are outside of the great God of heaven. Uh, Esau was uh, not an elect son of promise, so he acts in accordance with the desires of his heart. Ultimately, his animosity is against God. And he acts contrary to the revealed will of God. Reminds you that uh, the hearts of those outside the faith will always betray their identity in some manner or form. You and I cannot see their hearts. We can see their conduct. And that should be a lesson to us. So this is a... Uh, microcosm of a study of the Christian family acting to protect uh, their son. And they act to transmit the blessings to the son. And they act by instructing and giving explicit teachings in regards to not marrying outside the faith. It's an incredibly important reminder of uh, the way that uh, the gospel and our message to the world is transmitted generationally to the world. And in the midst of uh, all of the challenges of that, the reminder that God knows those who are His and will always act to protect them. So these uh, two sons or two families live in tandem in the world today. Uh, Children of the flesh and children of the promise. 
Uh, it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul has a commentary in uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28 and 29 uh, on uh, this very small microcosm, uh, the struggle between uh, Jacob and Esau. Now listen to how he defines the struggle. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. In other words, uh, Paul uh, gives his commentary with the word persecution. Eventually, uh, it's an attempt uh, to merge the spiritual family to destroy it, which was exactly uh, what was happening in the church at Galatia. Because there was an attempt by spiritual synergism to miss grace with law works instead of grace alone. Uh, also, there's another commentary in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So the Spirit uh, is our great provision and not law works. But that synergistic influence had come into Paul's church in Galatia, attempting to do what? Destroy it. Destroy the family. Destroy the church. Nonetheless, uh, God always keeps His own. It's our reminder of the essential importance of the Christian family uh, to act properly, to protect it, and to send out our sons and daughters uh, with the great content of the faith. Uh, within our families, we, we should labor with the means of grace to protect our children, to advance the faith. And within our spiritual family, the church, we are to remain just as loyal to the content of the faith, teaching and instructing our sons and daughters, and to transmit the same to future generation by God's grace. As the sons of the world are evangelistic to destroy the Christian family and the church, we should act opposite. We should be just as evangelistic to labor, to preserve it, to keep it, to transmit it, knowing all the well that God will bless uh, because God is the sovereign and God will secure his purposes because he is the one true God and he will, by his grace, advance the faith. And we should so labor as his sons and daughters to be a part of this great advancement.